0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Independent Life Podcast. Super special episode. We're just on the other side of what's known as SIL Day. This is a day where Centers for Independent Living uh, ascend onto the Capitol in Tallahassee, and we break up into teams and go meet with representatives and senators and their aides and get to discuss with them who we are and why we're in business, helping to serve their constituents who have disabilities. So SIL Day 2024 was I I regard as one of the most successful SIL days that we have ever had. I think we met with more uh, people from the House of Representatives and Senators than we ever had before because so many senators came up there with their staff and we broke up into all these various teams that, that, I know just our team alone met with 12 let alone all the other teams that came representing the Independent Living Network that were up there. We have a conversation here with a few of the people that were up there. Of course, our own Jane Johnson, as the FASL Florida Association Centers for Independent Living CEO, is accompanying this episode. But also Brian Johnson, no relation, but certainly related in the spirit of enthusiasm and inspiration to help advocate for Centers for Independent Living, representing Syl Broward. Ken, the Associate Director for Disability Solutions in the Brevard area, uh, his first time up there to Silde, but man, what a natural, love what he had to share because you know, being his first time up there and learning from a mentor named Jody Armstrong, uh, who's been a long-time veteran in doing this work, he has got a very interesting take because he just took off. He, he learned very quickly and then on his own. I uh, started meeting with uh, representatives and senators, and he's got an excellent story to share. So SIL Day is a culmination of a lot of work that happens year-round, meeting with uh, our representatives in our, in the districts uh, within the centers. Catchment area, getting to know them, getting to meet them uh, before we even go up there is key. Meeting with the delegations of senators and representatives that travel the state, uh, but also the, the fasel Legislative Committee uh, coming together to plan this day, this actual two-day event that happens and all the great work that gets put into this. And then to accompany the legislative session to, to advocate for what we're asking for, which ultimately is for funding to do adult transitions work, which means, you know, what what can we do with uh, the funding to be able to ensure that people with disabilities can live in the community, to get them out of uh, any institutionalized care, or to prevent it from happening in the first place. We've been fortunate enough to get funding over the last couple of years, non-reoccurring funding to do this work. So we went up there this year with concrete examples and stories of what we've been able to do to help keep people in the community. We have uh, detailed uh, those examples and those success stories in this episode to really impact for you what SIDL Day 2024 was all about. It's just such a joy to work with such great people uh, that are in this episode but in so many more uh, that came up there to the Capitol to be able to advocate for Floridians with disabilities who wanna continue living in the community uh, to whatever extent possible that is. And and it was just so wonderful to be a part of this work. And uh, the conversation uh, rounds out with what I really do love uh, talking with people about is what inspires them, what gets them out of bed in the morning, how they're able to uh, you know, do this very important work and stay motivated and sustained to do that. The values, the virtues that drive them. So wonderful. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much
1: as I had it. Enjoy. Take care.
0: welcome to the independent life podcast i'm super pumped up to have this conversation today we have the team the a team with us today and uh, we're going to go around the horn and introduce everybody and uh we'll start with you jane go to brian and then ken
1: hi everybody this is jane johnson and i am the executive director for the association of centers for independent living so we represent all 15 of the centers around the state I'm located in Tallahassee, near the capital, and um, and I think that's probably a good enough intro- introduction for right now.
0: Yes, James, you've been one of our most frequent flyers as guests on uh, our episode, so the, the audience should know you well. Brian, tell them what you're all about, man.
2: Sure, sure, thank you for having me. Good afternoon, my name is Brian Johnson. I am the Chief Program Officer at the Center for Independent Living of Broward and Gulf Coast. We encompass Broward County, Lee, Collier, Charlotte, Henry and Glade. So by population, we're probably one of the larger CILs, and I've been in my job for the last 12 years.
0: Thank you, Brian. And you, Ken? Hi, uh, my name is Ken Kerstetter.
3: I'm the Associate Director at Resource Center for Disability Solutions, the Center for Independent Living that serves Brevard and Indian River Counties, the Central East Coast.
0: Thank you. Well, Ken, I, I might, I'm going to start out with you, actually. you, Brian, I've had on the podcast once, but uh, Ken, if you don't mind, introduce like your center. Describe what, in your terms, what a center for independent living is, and then maybe add that real personal touch about you know how you wound up at a center for independent living in the position that you occupy.
3: Okay, great. Yeah. Um. So uh, that's a loaded question. What a center for independent living is. Um. It's funny when I began uh, four and a half years ago, I was getting out of the uh, Florida Army National Guard. I was looking for opportunities and, and really wanted to have an opportunity to make a difference. Uh, I've been in, um, gosh, you know, we go way back, but I, uh, uh, in another life, I was an exceptional education st- uh, teacher. Uh, I was a principal of a private school. I've been a mediator for the Florida Department of Education in uh, IDEA disputes and that kind of thing. So I've worked with uh, people with disabilities for a number of years, uh, encountered my own uh, especially thank you, U.S Army. It uh, has a tendency to do that to us as well. Um, but um, I was looking for it. I had no idea what a Center for Independent Living it was. and uh, I live seven tenths of a mile away from the center. And uh, I've lived in the same house since 2000, and they moved here probably about 10, 12 years ago. So for, you know, a good portion of a decade, I literally drove right by the office complex where RCDS was. Wow. and I didn't know what a Center for Independent Living was. Uh, so I came right before the pandemic, uh, actually met Jane uh, at the uh, State Emergency Operations Center, went straight from... Uh, a hurricane in uniform for the Florida Guard and straight into EOC uh, with the Centers for Independent Living uh, and doing that. And so since that time, I've learned a lot about Centers for Independent Living, and I absolutely love them. Um, what One of the things I like, and I'm sorry if I'm talking too much about it, but, rolling, but I man. really am excited I love the history of the SILs. I love the fact that at our core, we are a civil rights organization. Uh, I love that we are in a position where we are staffed and run by a majority of people with significant disabilities. Uh, It is people with disabilities working Uh, on behalf and with people with disabilities to enable them to live independently in the community. And that's something that um, I think a lot of younger people take for granted. But I remember when I was in high school, my best friend's brother would only come home during the holidays and he had autism and he was institutionalized and he would come back during the holidays and a little bit during the summer break. And, um yeah, it wasn't until years later that I like sort of put two and two together. But I thought about him immediately when I began to look into that. And, and uh, you know, once our society said, you know what, just because people have a disability doesn't mean they shouldn't be a part of the community. And uh, I'm excited about that and what the independent living movement did and that Centers for Independent Living were established to help people do that very thing. And like I try to tell people, we we really sort of set the, uh, the, the stage for the ADA down the road because it wasn't until people with disabilities were living in the community regularly that we looked around and said, maybe we should change things and make Good things point. accessible and those kinds of things. And so every time we bring on a new staff member, I want them to understand the history of what we do and the significance uh, that's involved in that and how that can take on all kinds of different shapes and and services because really what we're doing is we're just coming alongside the individual and helping them to accomplish their goals and that's exciting and and i love it and uh, it's always different and there's always uh, new things that are happening Uh, here at our center we provide the five core services uh, but we also provide uh, free transportation uh, paratransit-equipped uh, uh, transportation to medical appointments, shopping, that kind of thing. Uh, we have a, a pretty large uh, home accessibility modification program uh, that we run. Uh, in fact, I'm really excited. Uh, we are in the process of getting our contract for a CDBG grant that we got through uh, one of our counties to be able to do some more of those. We've been working the last two years through a pretty substantial grant from the Fair Housing Continuum. And then uh, we also have a durable medical uh, equipment, loan closet. So those are really our core services or the core and what I like to say key services Mm. uh, that we provide here at the center. But um, I absolutely love it. It's a blast. It is everything I had hoped for. Uh, When I was leaving the, the National Guard, one of my concerns, I remember talking to my wife was I was going to miss... The sense of doing something bigger than myself and being part of a team and doing so and this door opened here and just met that absolutely a hundred percent so and uh after you know after events like our conference last year and talking to you all on the phone and being up there at SIL Day, um you know it's exciting to know that not only are we a part of this team here at rcds but we're a part of a bigger team and uh yeah I'm just as excited as can be, so.
0: Thank you, Ken. Wow, what a, what an introduction. And uh, it, it's wonderful to get to know you better. And uh, Brian, good luck topping that introduction <laughs> right there, man.
2: <laughs> well, I will do my best. But no, I, I mean, honestly, just to piggyback off of what Ken said is, if I had to describe Centers for Independent Living's to somebody who didn't know about them, I would say they are the voice for the disabled community, and they provide guidance for individuals to better achieve their goals. Um, I think centers are the world's best kept secret. Um, Nobody knows what they are. Oftentimes they're misconstrued for some type of living facility, but we're so much more than that. Um, As Ken articulated, we really are whatever somebody needs us to be. Um, We kind of pick up that charge. Um, we could pivot like no other agency does. We work across disability. Um, there's just so many things that make us so much different and versatile than your average disability agency. Um, like Kids said besides the core services, we kind of look around the community and say what else is needed? So whether it's barrier removal so somebody can stay in their home, whether it's providing assistance with transportation, whether that's training or actually providing it directly, whether it's cooking, cleaning, whatever somebody says they need to be independent, that's what we're going to do. And I love that aspect of it. We don't dictate to them. They dictate to us. And our job is to somehow help them achieve that. Or sometimes help them realize that may not be the path they need to go down. But that's the greatness of centers. Um, is like we get to help them, meaning individuals with disabilities, figure out what it is they want to be. All their life, they've either been told what they can or can't do, while centers give them that opportunity to try. Um, And I think that's a great job. No two days are ever the same, I could say for sure. And as a person who's had a disability all my life, I mean, my first introduction to a center was when I was looking for work. I graduated from college, wanted to be an elementary ed teacher, kind of did some exploring and that wasn't successful. And by chance, my vocational rehabilitation counselor introduced me to the Center for Independent Living, and it gave me the opportunity to do all the things I would do as an educator and so much more. Um, Like I said, advocating um, that peer aspect, that peer counseling, all those things that you kind of take for granted. And uh, I mean, as I've kind of worked my way up through the ranks, I just knew that this is something that I've always wanted to be, wanted, continue to be a part of. And now as a chief program officer, I get to oversee everything. So it's kind of from that aspect, working with the executive director, and trying to implement things that are going to make a difference for people with disabilities. I mean, you can't beat that. I mean, every day, like I said, is a different, unique opportunity. And the staff is dedicated. Um, our clients are dedicated. And they appreciate all the things you're able to do and provide them with. So it's a great opportunity every day, for sure.
0: Thank you, Brian. And given that the, the three of us, between Brian, myself, and Ken, we are three of 15 centers in the state of Florida. So we got about 20% representation here. Uh, but Jane represents all of them. So Jane, if you don't mind talking about kind of your role and your positioning uh, in the network, and then maybe allowing that to segue into SIL Day and kind of what the spirit of SIL Day is all about. And then we can maybe start circling in on uh, what we were up to last week at this time.
1: Well, it's hard to describe my role also because it's different every day, but primarily I'm here in Tallahassee because funding for Centers for Independent Living has not been increased. And I'm talking core funding. So with the federal grants that um, center that is allocated to Florida for the centers and the state uh, general revenue match that is required to draw that federal money down, that money has probably not been increased in over 15 to 20 years, I think. It's, been, it's re- remained at a, a level uh level amount for way, way too long, just as population in Florida has ex- expanded exponentially. So um, my job is to try to find additional resources for SIL so that they can serve the people that the demand in their communities. Because um, when I got here, demand outpaced um, the resources available and it continues to. So each year we have gone to the legislature to advocate for additional general revenue fu- revenue funding to fund some of the, of the services that SILS want to provide. When in 2014, when the uh, WIOA, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act passed, an additional core service was, was acquired of SILS, which was transitioned, but no additional funding was, was allocated for that. So they had to absorb those additional duties within current budgets. So we have gone to the legislature um, every year since 2020 to request more money. In 2020, we were, we were funded, but then it got vetoed because the pandemic hit and every, the governor went through the budget and and vetoed literally a billion dollars. But then in every subsequent year, we've gone back and gotten um, an an, an appropriations that gives each SIL an equal amount to provide transition services. And every year we've been able to increase that from 450,000 to 900 to 975,000. And now we're asking for 1.5 million. So that's that's a big piece of what my job here in Tallahassee is because this is where the legislature is. And then in, in addition to that, serving as a liaison to state agencies and looking for partnership opportunities to develop new um, new resources for the SILs to fund their operations. Uh, we have a partnership with the Department of Corrections to provide accessible employment readiness training that has gone really well. We um, are working with the managed care organizations We were able to successfully lobby the Agency for Healthcare Administration to include partnerships with Centers for Independent Living in the the contract requirements for managed care companies. So as those contracts are being negotiated, like literally this week, they are required to partner with Centers for Independent Living, which will be another revenue opportunity for the Centers for Independent Living. And then we work with the Department of Education, with Vocational Rehabilitation, the Department of... The Brain and Spinal Cord Injury Program, the Agency for Persons with Disabilities. There's lots of um, lots of state agencies that touch the the world of disability, and so um, my job is to try to. Um, as Brian mentioned, SILs are the best kept secret in in Florida. So just making people aware of who they are and what they do has been huge in opening doors. I know it. Brian Sill is about to enter into a partnership with the local child welfare agencies who didn't know what we were um, before we knocked on the door so that SILS can provide uh, transition services or Brian SILS can provide transition services to youth with disabilities who are aging out of foster care. There's a huge need there because those kids don't have parents to advocate for them. So anyway, so it's hard to describe my job because it seems like every day there's a new opportunity that presents itself um, and just working to develop partnerships generally start small with the, with the intent of scaling up so that every SIL can benefit. But um, it's an exciting job. It's um it's a it's an honor to do the work. It's a privilege to represent organizations that do the work that the centers do. Um, so and, and and in addition to that, we run a statewide program for people with significant disabilities who require personal care assistance to work. We um through A partnership with the Department of Revenue, we receive a share of the delinquent sales taxes that are collected each month by state attorneys with whom we contract. And that money um, goes out in um, cash stipends to people who are working and are not enrolled in Medicaid or um, receiving Social Security and to help offset the cost of personal care. And when I first got here, the program was running a pretty significant deficit and we had capped enrollment and we were able to go to the legislature and request an increase in the percent of that revenue that we receive from 50 to 75 percent, which has been huge for the program. So we've had a 40 percent growth in the number of participants in the program since then. And, um, And, you know, we continue to serve more people. So just lots of really exciting things that kind of touch almost every state agency in Florida, which is really cool because when you think about it, disability touches every state agency and every aspect of living. It's a it's so there's really not a state agency with whom I think a, a partnership would be inappropriate because disability, the voice of independent living and disability, should be um, should be shared ac- across the board so that uh, that that those those needs are included and that perspective is considered when decisions are made.
0: Thank you, Jane. Like that, that was a really good encapsulation of all the different facets of uh, what FASL is about and what we do. Um, I recall, and I want to say, you know, it was before COVID when Sil Day really started becoming a thing. Um, were, were we already doing that when you came on? I'm a little fuzzy. Like when you came on, were we already doing Sil Day or was this uh, an invention that uh, accompanied your, your coming on board?
1: I think the credit goes to Tyler Morris. I think yeah. that he instigated it and and brought his staff and that. To, to Tallahassee and, and I wasn't here. It was, I think it was 2018 maybe. So I got here in 2019 and we did have okay. a SIL day in 2019, but there wasn't really a model for it. Cause I remember asking, well, what does this mean? <laughs> like, What do you want right. SIL day? So it has evolved organically over the past five years. But um, but I do think that Tyler probably was trying to t- model off of what Nickel does, the National Council for Independent Living. They do something a day at the Capitol up in DC, every year. And and I think he tried to do a, a smaller version of that here in Florida.
0: Yes, Tyler the instigator, executive director for the Center for Independent Living at Jacksonville, shout out to you. I mm-hmm. want to say he and Corey, so uh, the 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 director there your center, Brian, um, uh, from from what I'm recalling, um, you know, I think yeah, Tyler went over one year primarily, still Jacksonville. And then the following year, I want to say they was kind of youth oriented. I want to say that they were talking about and they they got a bus that went up from South Florida to to uh, up towards the Capitol and picked some people up along the way to try and like bring some people there. Um and uh I know Corey was super involved with that. And we were uh, doing that like you said, Jane, I think you came on board in 2019, then 2020 when the pandemic hit kind of shut us down uh, with SIL Day. It was virtual
1: we, we, a- yeah, we did a virtual SIL day that year.
0: Yeah. And then um, uh, the last year uh, we started kind of coming back more in person, and then this year uh, we we I think took it to the you know next level. And what I want to you know kind of hone in on is uh, this year um, many many sills came with a with a lot of staff from those sills, Brian and Ken among them. Um, and and one of the uh, centerpieces of what we were uh, advocating for was um the uh what we've been doing for the last couple of years in funding that we have been getting from general revenue to do adult transitions uh work. Um and uh you know so Jane and uh, the other SILS who have been uh involved with this in the last few years have been successful in getting non-reoccurring funds to uh do adult transitions. And so we're back there uh this year you know, to ask for continue funding uh, for, for this area. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do was, was kind of talk to them and highlight what we're doing in this area of adult transitions. And Ken, I know you were uh, kind of highlighting briefly, you know, some of those areas in which you all are doing, you know, some things, I know transportation, DME, you got some housing things going on, but I didn't know if you wanted to talk more directly or specifically or had even a, a story or two about what you've been doing uh with adult transitions and uh you know kind of uh, giving us a peek about what this funding uh, could be used to do for the folks that we serve
3: sure um yeah so uh, one of the areas that that we've found at least in our our two counties I think it's probably statewide but but in uh, in our two counties is um really a lack of uh options for people who need home accessibility modifications within the transition, you know, uh, phase. So uh, I'll use an example of my father. Um, he was, uh, uh, I dropped him off uh, in June of this last year to fly up to uh, to to visit my sister. And uh, he used a cane and, you know, I helped him get the sky cap and all that stuff. But he used a cane to do all that stuff. He came back at the end of July in pain uh and um over the course of the next few weeks uh he lost uh pretty much all mobility and uh we took him to the emergency room they said schedule an appointment with your back doctor we did that uh and then one uh saturday night about 10:30 at night he called me and said um that he'd fallen down and he couldn't get back up so ended up over there with uh emergency uh uh services and then took him to the emergency room Long story short, he ended up having to have spinal surgery and he spent time in uh, a significant amount of time in a a rehabilitation center. In order to get back home, he needed to have certain things in place to be able to remain safe and to be able to transition back home. Uh, Luckily, because uh, we have a great person here, Donna Morgan, who uh, oversees our home modification program, I went to Donna early in the process and said, What's my dad need? You know, and she basically did an assessment. And uh, by the time he was even in the rehab center, I almost had it all done. There were grab bars in his in his bathroom, raised toilets, those kinds of things that he needed. Now, he's fortunate in the fact that he has the funding to be able to pay for that. But a significant number of people in our community do not have the funding, even to pay for those kinds of, uh, of modifications. And so um, one of the things that, that we're really trying to do is find funding anywhere we can to be able to provide these kinds of home accessibility uh, modifications. Uh, um, I'll give you an example of, uh, of, an, uh, of an extreme story that we've been able to address, at least I feel it's an extreme story. Uh, we had a, a an uh, older gentleman, a senior adult, lives in a mobile home here locally, and it's a retirement community. So all of his neighbors are, are senior citizens as well. Uh, we became aware of the situation when there's uh, uh, a neighbor contacted us and said, there's a group of five or six senior citizens that are trying to carry a six foot four, almost 300 pound man, in and out of the mobile home up steps right. and there was a fall and he landed on top of one of them. Luckily, they weren't injured. When we started looking into it, we found out that that uh, gentleman who owned that mobile home was the uncle of this younger man who was in his 40s, who had been in a car accident in Texas. And he had re- he, uh, ended up with a traumatic brain injury and some paralysis and um, had been in a nursing home. And his uncle found out about it and says, my family member's not going to be alone in a nursing home. He's coming home with me. What he hadn't thought about was the logistics of someone Mm -hmm. who couldn't go in and out on their own and under their own power and a wheelchair and all that kind of stuff to be able to do it. And he couldn't afford a ramp, as you guys know, uh, you know, a ramp for a mobile home generally that's about a 36-inch rise. So you're looking about a 36-foot ramp. It's extremely expensive yeah. uh to be able to do that. Um, but we were able to get out there and get a ramp built for them because of that. Um, if we didn't have the funding, we wouldn't be able to do that. And that transition would have failed because eventually something was going to happen, someone was going to get injured and he was gonna have to go back into a nursing home uh, as a result of that. So Mm -hmm. um, that's what we've been very fortunate to receive, uh, that grant from the Fair Housing uh, Continuum, Uh, but it's a continual continual search to try to find that funding. And um, our goal, I shared this with a number of legislators last week, uh, our goal, which is from Carolyn Sitong from uh, Home for Life Design, is if we can gather enough data to show insurance companies that if they invest in home accessibility modifications, they'll both divert people from going into uh, institutions and help them stay longer in their homes. Right. Maybe they'll decide it's worth spending money to do that in the long run because they'll save money and that is a dream that i have that we will be out of the home modification business because there will be a continuous stream of funding and then every contractor in the world will be in that business providing that and then we'll go find something else that's really pressing and go and go do that so
0: I, I like how you're you're kind of encapsulating all that together. So again, like adult transitions isn't just like getting people out of institutionalized care, rehab centers, or or whatever it may be, and back into the community, but it's that diversion piece. I'm glad you threw that in there, preventing it in the first place from ever happening. And 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 the the, the funding that we get is the return on investment. Keeping someone in the community, you know, is so much cheaper for the taxpayers than putting them you know, into an institutional facility or a rehab clinic. Um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jane, I think the last numbers I saw was like 150,000 on average per year for someone to be in institutionalized care versus around 60,000 to be in the community. And uh, so it's, the return on investment is, from a financial sense is, is real. But as you are articulating these very specific stories, you know, it, you know most people want to stay in the community and uh, you know have a better quality of life when they do stay in the community. So from a humanistic point of view, you know it, it, it's a it's a win. But then when you bring in the, these contractors and you know you're able to also involve them in this and, and it's a it's an important business and, and service that they provide. You know, it's kind of a win-win-win. You know, you're talking about the win for the person with a disability, stay in the community. It's a win for the taxpayer, save, saving money, and it's a win for private business because um, you know they're able to provide a service that's so so needed there. So, uh,
1: excellent job.
0: Yeah. So, so Brian, talk talk to us about the value uh, proposition that we're we were talking with the uh, our state representatives about in terms of uh, adult transitions and what you all might be up to there at your center.
2: Certainly. So similar, like Ken. Um... I think bear removal is was a key one that we discussed just with regards to trying to keep, as we all discuss, people in their homes. Uh, we have a similar story. There was a young man who was in a really bad motorcycle accident, um, ended up becoming a incomplete quadriplegic. His mother wanted to take him home, but the home wasn't accessible. She was probably at best 100 pounds (laughs) soaking wet and trying to lift her son in his chair into the home, which wasn't working. So we um, thanks to we actually do get ship funding through our county. We were able to go in there and modify the home so we could retrofit the bathroom. We put in hand bars, um, grab bars, a ramp. We were able to do an automated door. We put in home automation for smart devices. And I mean, it just made a world of difference without that. I don't think, I definitely know the mother does know what she's going to do. Nobody could figure out what would be next, what would happen, what would be kind of the next phase in this, if you will, so to speak. So, and it's through the outreach we do, because the hospital actually knew to contact us and call us to tell us about this family. And thankfully, our executive director, he has the foresight and that desire. We want to help. I think also are kind of built that way, but just kind of wanting to make sure, like you said, do that nursing home prevention, because we know once they go in their quality of life, Desire, all those things change. If you could keep somebody integrated in the community, that's always what you want to do and the best way to do it. So we were just happy we were able to get involved on the front end. Obviously, it took some time, but I'm kind of glossing. over, oh, sorry, make it quicker. But I mean, it does. Knowing that the hope was there and knowing that these things were available was awesome. We were even able to give him a motorized wheelchair. Um, He was waiting for insurance to kick him through our durable medical equipment. We were able to provide a motorized wheelchair. And that, once again, increased his mobility, his independence. So his mother wasn't having to lift him and pull him up and down, even though we got rid of the step. But that that stuff like that. So, I mean, and that's a game changer. Stories like that and then the other spectrum of housing just place straight placement. I think that's the greatest barrier we see in Broward County. Um, The housing market is just so astronomical. People can't afford what rent goes for. And then when we do come across some of those families that can't afford rent, they don't have their first, last security deposit that you will need to move in and all these things. Mm-hmm. So we've been creative sometimes to be able to help with some of those move-in costs with partnering with other agencies so that we can help people kind of live that American dream, if you will, sort of getting their right. first apartment, living on their own, being independent. So those were the two things that we definitely discussed that there's just such a Housing divide. There's such a great between the haves and have not, if you will, sort of speak. In terms of trying to bridge that gap and ensure that people who want to live independently have that opportunity, Um, like I said, oftentimes they are working or they're on social security. They can afford the monthly rent, but they just can't afford to move in. They just don't have that readily available. Most people don't have that readily available, I think, South Florida. But you compound that now with somebody with a disability and all the other obstacles with Social Security and how much you're allowed to save in terms of income and things like that. It's it's a very sad story that we hear far too often, and mm-hmm. we're trying to come up with more creative ways to solve it. But like I said, the additional funding definitely will assist in that regard, just so that we are able to provide individuals who are interested in housing that meet the other criteria, if you will, but just don't have that initial moving cost. So those were the two the kind of things we discussed. I mean, like I said, trust me, all the stuff that went was from some of our different departments so we were able to discuss different things we had a deployment staff that talked about getting somebody off of social security and teaching them that they can go back to work through the ticket to work program and that right. their benefits even though they'll lose it they'll still be able to keep the health coverage that was what was essential and important to them accessing assistive technology in terms of how home automation that stuff is just such a game changer for individuals who acquire their disabilities or as they age with their disability right. Are not able to stay in their home, and now their home becomes their greatest barrier, if you will. So, I mean, it was, it was a great opportunity, and you can see on the legislators' face that they were interested in hearing these stories, whether they knew it or not. Before they were interested in kind of learning a little bit more about it, and then just kind of us being able to pass along what it is Sills do as a whole. So, it was a great time just to kind of share how trying to keep our clientele integrated in the community and what that looks like and what that actually means.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, listening to both of you, you know, what it really jumps out to me is that with this adult transitions money that we're up there asking to to, to get once again, it really comes down to, you know, a, a, access to affordable housing, you know, making sure that, you know, and, and again, you know, if people don't know already that, that the housing stock um, is, is much smaller than the amount of people needing housing. And it really drives up the prices, especially there in South Florida and where you're located there, Ken, as well. And then on top of that, you know if we do get into uh, some kind of affordable housing situation, being accessible, and like you were saying, Brian, removing any kind of barriers that might be there, widening doorways, getting wheelchair ramps, grab bars, et cetera. And then uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the um, the uh, uh, the the wheelchair, you know the uh, making sure that they they have you know the the durable medical equipment that's often needed that can be the the one thing as well um, that that can prevent them from going into uh, an, an assistive living facility or a nursing home or whatever it might be. And then um, assistive technologies. I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, having the AT that that's there that can keep people living independently and activities of daily living that people may need, whether it's just, you know, reading mail or a prescription bottle or those kind of things that are necessary. And then, um, you know, wh- wh- one of the other things I think that really was great that you also mentioned was employment. So in, in, in you know the ticket to work program or whatever it may be, many SILS do, you know, access to employment. So we're looking at like five different kinds of services that, that are there that uh, adult transition funding can allow centers for independent living to either do or expand what they're already doing to make sure that people are, are within that area uh, of uh, transitions or diversion. So, Jane, you know, with we, hearing some of these value propositions, you know, that we can you know, then bring to the capital. And talk with people. Um, how would you then, like maybe uh, even backing up a little bit, how would you describe the what what SIL Day is, whether it's in spirit uh, or, or the philosophy, but then bringing it down to the practical, like what does it look like when we're there at the Capitol uh, for SIL Day, for people that might not know uh, exactly what a SIL Day is. So we know like we're at, we're going there to to get some money for uh, adult transitions, general revenue funding, we got these great stories of what we've been able to do with it in the past and how it links into our services. But what actually is this, you know, kind of sill day, and what does it look like uh, in practical terms?
1: Well, there was a buildup to the to the day itself. So right. over the summer, I sent information to all of the Sills about where and when and where their legislative delegation meetings would be held to encourage them to go to those delegations and introduce themselves and, and talk about what they did. And several of our Sill directors said it was the first time they'd ever done that. And they got in front of House and Senate members that are that serve the area that um, they're that covers their catchment area and talked about, you know, this is who I am. This is who I, where I work. This is what we do. It wasn't an ask. It was just a, a story. This is, and it resonated pretty strongly with a lot of the delegation meeting at the, lot of the delegation meetings. Then prior to that. And, and then after that, we had one of our uh, SIL staff down in the Largo area do two webinars um, to get SIL staff ready for SIL day, where she talked about, uh, she's a very uh, she's a former mayor of a small town. She's an attorney and she's just a great job advocating both in her local district and also at the Capitol. So she talked about this is how I do it. This is what this is how I find where my legislators are. This is how I contact them. This is what I say. This, these are the things I bring with me to the meeting. And so she did a wonderful Her name is Jody Armstrong. She did a wonderful job of she's making amazing. it real for people and taking questions so that to sort of allay some of the fears that um, people might have had. And then um, to, to build on that, we had a reception the night before Still Day started. And Representative Allison Tant, who's my local legislator here in town, who is a mom of a, a man with a disability, she spoke and I really appreciated her words because she talked to, she gave encouragement about don't be intimidated, don't be afraid. These are just people just like you. And um, and she has been probably the most successful legislator in terms of getting disability legislation passed even though she's a democrat even as a freshman she sponsored she has sponsored legislation to improve access to services for people with disabilities every year and every year her bills go through the committee process and get voted on the, the floor with unanimous support so she's a powerhouse um so she she was i thought very inspirational as was the education the senior chancellor of education came and spoke about her experience with as a person with a disability and i think those two women gave a lot of um confidence to the to the silsaf in the room to to realize that you they had support that these these, these issues are real the 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 things that you they were going to be asking for the next day really made had value and they made they were life-changing services and so then what I saw in action as I accompanied people on these visits is, is that almost it was all about storytelling it wasn't about this is how much we want this is this is who our sponsor is as much as it was this is what we do and this is kind of what what these services mean and and the personal stories that the sils shared with legislators resulted in a legislator saying oh my gosh well my aunt or my brother or my uncle and Mm -hmm. they all had a personal story that they could give back about what how this what this means to, to them and so i think there was a really powerful lesson learned by everyone in those meetings. Was that this issue is very personal for everyone, and connecting at that personal level and making it human and showing the value, I think, will ultimately be the key to our success. And especially um, the, the peer based model that is independent living, where it's people with disabilities working on for and beha- on behalf of people with disabilities, right. people with lived experience. So, so that so Sylde was after that reception the, the night before everyone assembled on the steps of the old Capitol for a photo op and just to kind of get people charged up. And then the various different teams went off in different directions to meet with the legislators that they had scheduled appointments with. And, um, and it was, I didn't get to go to all the appointments cause there were so many, but the ones I was able to be on were amazing. It was, without question, the most successful year we've had. And we saw the most enthusiastic responses to our, um, to our requests that I've ever seen, so.
0: Yeah, I, I it was amazing, uh, you know, just to give a context to this. So I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the, the lead up to SIL Day. It's not just like, oh, this event that happens over a day and a half period of time at the Capitol. It's, a, it's kind of a year long process that, you know, we got to stay in touch with our representatives and senators in our local areas, these delegations that tour the state, it's important to show up for the couple minutes that we can get in front of them and speak to who we are. So once we get there, we can continue the conversation. Versus, hey, this is who we are, and sometimes we need to do that. We can't, you know, with, with people. But um, you know, each of the cells that were able to participate um, made appointments with you know, representatives and senators and uh, brought their staff to go there, meet with them in the office, and uh, have this conversation with them. Uh, and and one of the things that really impressed me. Uh, that day among many things that definitely impressed me on the day that all the the centers were up there at the Capitol, which for people that have never been there before, it's a 22 story building that has buildings attached to it, and it's a maze full of offices that uh, felt like a mouse in a, in a maze, you know trying to go find and, and run around there. I wish we had pedometers to see how much mileage we clocked in at that day, but it was phenomenal. But one of the things that like like really uh, impressed me were the people that were there for the first time, um, on behalf of SILs, talking to our, you know, public officials, representatives, their aides, and et cetera, being able to tell tell the story of who Centers for Independent Living are. Um, Ken, so your, your first time, for, from what I understand, at SIL Day, and you jumped right into it. And I think you made a lot of different, um, like, what I'll call cold calls, like, just popping in on people and representatives in your area and your districts to go talk to them or to their aides. So, Talk to us specifically about what your experience was like on SIL Day at the Capitol.
3: Sure. It was uh, it was great. Um, I was a little late to the group photo because it also happened to be Florida National Guard Day, too. And oh, so oh, I, yeah, way through,
0: vehicles. We're outside. I got yeah.
3: distracted by soldiers because my heart also is with them. And so I was chatting and I actually found ah. the two young soldiers from one of the battalions I was with. Ten years ago, and uh, chatting with them, and I said, "You know what? I got somewhere. I got to be. I got to be at a photo." So I ended up in the second round of photos. But uh, so that started the day off really fun. But um, so what I did is, um, uh, Jane mentioned Jody, and uh, and um, I was just blown away by her presentation uh, the other week on what she does. And I had talked to her uh, the night before at our reception, and I basically said, "Can I?" I followed you around for a while. And uh, so she, you know, took me and man, what a powerhouse. We were just <laughs> like tooling around and I got to sit in on a couple appointments that she had and sort of just see how she did it. And then finally, I I looked at her and I said, um, thank you so much. I said, I think I'm ready to go see some of our people and, and uh, you know, some of our representatives and do that kind of thing. And she's she looked at me and she nodded and she says, you're ready. She says, go get them. So that's what I did. I went around and I did cold calls uh, and uh, was able to talk to multiple uh, aides. And, um, you know, what I found is obviously just a couple observations is, you know, they are bombarded with information and people up there. Uh, But what I found was that when I introduced myself, talked about what we did, It seemed to open the door. It does seem like Jane said, you know, there is regardless of what side of the aisle people are on, there seems to at least be that opportunity to come together around the area of of people with disabilities and, and serving them. And so, uh, you know, I think I got a little bit longer time with with a few of them than maybe I would otherwise was able to really talk to them and and share with them. And and so my goal was was twofold was just to really make them aware of who we are and what we're doing. And, And one of the things that I shared with every one of them was we're a resource for you as well because I know that you get calls from constituents saying I'm having struggles with this or problems here. And I said, you may not know where to send them. One of our core services is information and referral. It's our job to know or find out if there's something out there just call us, send them to us you know and doing that and uh, several of the aides were like, oh okay uh, And then I also want to say that you know what Jane had said too, there's the personal connection. Uh, I remember in talking with one of the aides they they started asking like well how would someone go about getting a uh, a home accessibility modification and and where do you do and and uh you know I had to share with them that there's a waiting list? And uh, and that kind of thing. And they said, well, who else does this? And I said, not many people. And it was like very eye opening for them, you know, in that regard. So that was exciting as well. uh, And being able to talk to them, I'm looking forward to next year, uh, being able to know that I'm going up sooner, getting some appointments and actually sitting down with them. Uh, But as I told Jane in an email, thanking her for, you know, really sort of coaching us up and encouraging us and organizing us. Um, you know, exactly what she just said. This is the long game. You know, you have to be in it for the long game. It's not about that one time you're not going to go in there and knock the doors down and they're going to be like opening the checkbook and saying, <laughs> how much do you want? You know, uh, <laughs> it's about really continuing to make contact with them because they are so bombarded and they are so busy and they have so many people coming at them from different angles for that. Right. So I realized and so I said to Jane, I said, you know, we're going to we're going to be regulars. They're going to hear from us regularly uh, and, and see us and hear from us and see the value uh, in us so that um you know we continue to build those relationships so they'll listen and then and then uh lesson for us too is that it doesn't it doesn't have to just be our state representatives uh, we need to be doing that same kind of thing back here all year round with our right. local elected officials our city councils and our mayors and you know county commissioners and, and all of those individuals as well so um, so it was it was uh, eye opening, uh, a great learning experience, uh, a lot of fun and um, very inspiring uh, to uh, to challenge to to continue moving, you know, moving forward uh, and just uh, this becoming just a regular thing we do. So, you know, hopefully next year when we're up there, our representatives will be like, hey, Ken, I mean, or at least they'll look at me and be like. Your face looks familiar. Oh, yeah, that's who you're with. Right. So that's the goal.
1: So Tony, I have to chime in on this, on your comment yeah. about the long game, because Um, Ken wound up on the floor of the House chamber while they were in session with, uh, accompanied by the incoming Speaker of the House, Danny Perez. So that was huge. He, you know, this current Speaker of the House, Paul Renner, terms out this year. And so he will have a new Speaker for next session. And Ken had a very nice audience with him in his office with Lily Portman of the Sill of South Florida. And he was very receptive. He has a brother with a disability. He was asking us about the APD waiver. So I think that I'm hoping that he will consider Centers for Independent Living as content experts when, when that legislation um, moves forward. But. He was so enchanted with his conversation that he said, hey, let, let me take you out on the floor and we'll get a picture taken. So that was his initiative, not ours. So um, wow. so, so you are playing the long game, Ken, because he is the guy in, in for the next two years. He will be controlling the purse strings in the house and the policy strings. So, um, so kudos to you and to Lily, who's another powerhouse, who's also <laughs> a first time Still Day uh, participant.
0: Yeah, way way to go, Ken. I, I I really love how you quick learner you were uh, accompanying Jody, smart showing mentorship, and then uh, letting you fly. And, and and like Jane was saying, you flew. And I really like what you're saying there too. With again, with our value proposition is, and we're, this year we were we were up there while they were in session versus last year in committee week. So definitely much more movement and action up there at the Capitol. And and they're just flooded with people asking them for things. You know, like, can you please give us this, that, and the other? We're there doing the same. But what made us different was, as you stated, we're also saying we're here to serve your constituents. We know you have people in your community with disabilities that you hear from that have needs, and you're looking for resources to send them to. And here we are, just in case you didn't know, we're here to help you. And 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 I really love that that part of uh, when we go to meet with them, it's not just ask, us asking them you know, for something, but we're here offering them uh, and their constituents something uh, as well. Yeah. Yep. And so thanks for highlighting that. Brian, talk to us. Now, Now, th- from what you're
2: saying, Brian, you've been up there for still the day before, right? I did go many moons ago. So yeah. Okay. Was- I was going to say, I just
0: feel like for some reason you're like, you know, been there many times. Oh, I
2: wouldn't say ready or pro, but I meant, beforehand, <laughs> like I said, as a native Floridian, it was a little bit cold for me, but, but it was <laughs>
3: inspiring.
2: Yeah. I will say it was very inspiring. Um, and like I said, kudos to Jane and Jody, because like I said, the prep for it was great. Um, I'll speak kind of for myself and then my staff, my staff, they're great at what they do, but they don't always like talking in public to people. So I think they got a little bit more at ease with all the prep that went into this to make them a little bit more at ease. But like Ken said, and like you said as well, Tony, the when meeting with the legislators, I think the great part was even though we were having an ask, it wasn't really an ask. It was more us sharing what it is we do, who we are, and how we help the community and why it's important to kind of give back if you go to us but it wasn't necessarily an ask and like you said i think that there was able to have that they could relate to us aspect like it, we said everybody whether it's in their immediate family or a family member or cousin whatever the case they know someone with a disability and they recognize that people are living longer um the experiences that happen medical science with all this wonderfulness are able to cure things that couldn't be cured and stuff but people are developing disabilities and living and recognizing that there's services out there to help them, whether, like I said, it's back to that assistive technology or going back to work or now staying in their homes and just hearing what it is we do to our core, how there's no fee for any of our services. This is a free program that anybody could take advantage of. And we're local, I think was just a great thing with all the representatives we spoke with. And then we invited them out to come see our center. We like, come see who we Mm -hmm. are at our core. And a lot of them, at the bare minimum, at least said in the moment that they'll take us up on that. So I'm looking forward to that just so they can see what we are. Because I don't think, I, even though we tell the stories and we did have some pictures and things that we passed out, I don't think it does it justice. I think when you see it in action, it's a lot more impactful. And I think I that know. was the key to all this, just kind of sharing those anecdotal tells and having, having them hear from our staff. It wasn't just me talking all the time or whatever. What it is we do, I think was really great. And they were engaged and they were asking questions. And I think that was a great takeaway I got from that. It wasn't like they were just rushing out the office. They genuinely were asking questions. They wanted to learn more about us as an agency and what it is we do and did. So that that was kind of my great takes, if you will, in the moment when doing this. It was a wonderful opportunity to share who we are and try to kind of, like you said, quote unquote, the long game, but engage that relationship, make that relationship with them so that they recognize that we are, a valuable resource, if nothing else, a valuable resource that they could take advantage of for sure.
0: Yeah, it, it is hard to explain to somebody what it's like unless you you are there. So even within this podcast, the aim of it is to kind of try to get the gist out there to people, of what we did for SIL Day. Um, but, yeah, it's almost like you got to be there, see that building, 22 stories, you know, uh, tall, one side's the House, one side's the Senate. Going there into the offices with a specific limited amount of time to captivate them, to get them to that point where they're listening and asking questions and wanting to know more, and and that's not not easy to do, you know, especially like they're in session, they they're they're so busy, they got so many people coming at them. So when we are able to get to that point, that that's just so so important. So um, in, in doing that uh, and and going through that experience, if you had to say there was you know, one or maybe two, like, key pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who's going to go speak to a public official or uh, a stakeholder or a decision maker uh, about advocacy, you know, and and what, what what's an important thing to, to be able to do once you get in the room and you have their attention and it's go time, what would you say, like, is a good piece of advice to give to somebody who, who is about to encounter someone that they want to captivate about a, a cause or an issue or whatever it may be that you gleaned uh, from from that day Ken I'll, I'll, I'll uh, start with you
3: um well, I, I guess I the first thing that popped into my mind is what one of my speech professors said way back in college when I was scared to death about public speaking and now I actually enjoy it is you know, Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. Stay focused. You know, have a message that you want to share. Um, Don't ramble all over the place. Make it personal. Connect and stick to that point, you know, because they don't have a lot of time and they can't listen to everything. So identify what is the key thing that you want, you know, want them to to really remember. If they they turn around after you've left that office and they think about you, what is that one thing that you wanna have stuck in their brain? Uh, And so, yeah, uh, if that makes sense, you know,
2: that's it. I like it. Brian, how about you? Similar, I would say be concise, and be sincere. I think those are the two right. most important pieces when you're doing this. You don't want to sound robotic. You want to make sure that you're right. speaking from the heart, but be concise. Um, You definitely don't want to be rambling. And their time their time is important. So you want to be able to get to the point of what it is you're trying to share with them. But be sincere. Whatever story you're going to share with them, make sure it's a we'll say that we don't care or care about some more than others. But make sure it's a story you genuinely want to share to get your point Home, if you will, sort of speak. So those would be the two important things I would say.
0: Yeah, people people can pick up on authenticity. Yeah, I feel like yeah, people can know when you're coming from the heart and you're real. Uh, yeah. Jane, how about you? What, what you've know, been in the game for a long time. What What is a, a piece of advice or two that you would give to people? You know, advocating for whatever cause it might be to to people that make uh, decisions.
1: Try to tell them something that will captivate their imagination don't just convey words and narrative because they get that all day long. All but right. some of the most compelling sort of meetings I've watched is where someone talks about a personal experience or a, a consumer that they served and, and, and a success. And you can see that their eyes light up and you can see their imagination has been triggered. So they're not just processing intellectual, um, information they the story has become personal and, um, and it, they it sticks with them. I, one of the one I think Brian it was someone from your sill several years ago talked about when he acquired his spinal cord injury, he had to be bathed outside in the backyard with a hose in a lawn chair for for years until someone could pull together the funding to create an accessible bathroom so he could finally take a shower in a real shower, and it stunned everyone in the room. And that legislator followed up with me afterwards, but it was just it was the same you know we were asking for the same thing. We wanted funding for transition services, but that story by that gentleman who experienced that, um, just, the, it, you could see it's it's about imagination. It's about making bringing color to the words on the page. So that's that, I would say that that, because Centers for Independent Living have incredible stories to tell of success not just transition success, but just, you know, the parent who doesn't understand the alphabet soup that goes on in an IEP meeting and All that right. SEALs can go and help demystify that process and be an advocate so that student can get what they need so they can wind up graduating from high school, going to college and getting a job. Um, there's just, there's so many great success stories that people can read. So anyways, long-winded answer, but yes, tap into their imagination so your story sticks and resonates.
0: Yeah, and no, imagine one of the things that do that too with um, your representatives or senators, especially, you know, that seemed to me to want to make a mark, you know, that's going to outlive their tenure there is like have a compelling, like this is going to impact the next generation, future oriented thinking, legacy, perhaps even, you know, that impact that they can have on on, on people's <coughs> lives. Um, so so some takeaways, you know, from Silday, um, you know, I'll kind of just start just to, you know, get the ball rolling on this, but I w- I'm interested in understanding what, what, what were some of your takeaways you know, uh, leaving uh, the, your experience here at this SIL uh, Day 2024. For me, one of the ones is that how the message we have is, you know, very, I, I would say, bipartisan. So, you know, when I when I think about, you know, uh, a conservative Republican, you know, kind of a philosophy would be, you know, kind of a, a bit of independence, you know, like people that are going to be independent, you know, pulling themselves up, you know, being able to, to do their own things the way that they would want to do, um, being fiscally conservative. You know, again, like what I was saying earlier, uh, if we can keep people in the community, um, it's going to cost the the government or the state uh, a whole lot less in money. Um, and if, uh, you know, we're able to also get them, say, employed, they're going to be contributing to the community as well. Um, and then I also see kind of more, you know, what would we consider maybe more democratic, liberal where it's like, you know, we want to help people. We want to be able to be a social service as well to the greater good and uh, collectively, you know, as a community coming together and being there for one another. Um, and, and, And so I almost like see this as like, no matter where people might fall on the political spectrum, like this is something that can resonate for everybody. That that that's up there. So when when, when I was going, we, we probably had 12 appointments that day. I stopped looking to see which letter they had. Was it an R, was it a D. I didn't feel like I didn't have to tailor my message for one party or another. And I and I thought that was really beautiful about you know what we do is you know something that could resonate across, you know, any kind of political ideology that that, that people might have. And so we didn't have to necessarily, you know, Trent, you know, tiptoe around any kind of sensitive topics or issues, in my mind, at least. So that was one of my takeaways. But, uh, but Ken, again, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, you being up there for the first time, I'd be interested to know what was uh, some of the takeaway lessons or or learning or, you know, that you might have had or aha moments that you experienced while up there still day.
3: Uh, well, I would say uh, that what you just shared, absolutely agree 100% with that. That was really nice because disability impacts everyone. It is, right. it's not one side of the aisle or the other, you know, everyone has something like that. Uh, I think probably the, the overarching uh, takeaway that I got was tied to something that Brian said at the beginning when he's, uh, we have the opportunity to be a voice for people with disabilities and um you know it's we're called to do that as far as uh, one of our core services being advocacy and um and i feel like centers for independent living are uniquely equipped and positioned to be a voice like that and i think that um for me personally um that's something that i want to embrace uh, even more and uh, and really make that something that just is a, a common part of what we do because it's really needed. and and I saw that as you were talking to uh, the legislators and and the aides that were up there, um, those moments where you shared something with them that, that we all know and that and that maybe we take for granted that we know that. And you saw their eyes just sort of open up, you know, whether it was, You know, well, who else does these home home modifications? Well, and there's this kind of well, is that you know a funding issue? Yes, it is. You know, and it's like just that eye opening. You know, we all know that we all sit and we bemoan it sometimes, but these people that are in positions potentially to to make a difference in that area don't know that. You know, or as Jane said, sharing a story that 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 really has that human component to it where people like I would have never known prior to coming to the Center for Independent Living. And and we share that story. I I, too many times know no people who showering outdoors because they can't get into their tub or in their shower in their bathroom and doing that kind of stuff. I hear that too often, you know, and and when they hear it, they're, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, that that's actually happening. And so it's almost like, you know, if not us, who we've got to be that voice uh, in doing that. And so I would say that's probably the thing that's the deepest takeaway uh, is just making sure that we're that voice here in Tallahassee, everywhere that we have an opportunity, because we're aware of needs and circumstances and situations in people's lives that other people are not aware of, but need to be, and so that's I think what I would say.
0: Wonderful answer, Ken. Yeah, and I, and I think just how this really aligns with the spirit of the independent living movement. I'm talking like from the birth of it, you know, with uh, Ed Roberts in the the '60s and uh, the advocacy that went on in the '60s and the '70s. And, and these leaders of the movement that articulated the struggles uh, for, for people. And, and I think of that when we were up there, we're like continuing, you know, this uh, legacy of being a voice of a group. And, and we have the privilege of being in a position to be that voice for people. And I, and I was thinking, and, and when, when I was speaking with our board uh, before that, you know, it's it really hitting me how, I was thinking about the individuals that were served by these funds that we've gotten over the last couple of years. You know, we were able to put in 16 modular wheelchair ramps because of this funding. And I was thinking specifically, you know, about a few of the people, you know, someone that was, you know, shot, you know, 15, you know, there's a young man, um, so early on in life now needing a wheelchair ramp, uh, to be put in his home, a gentleman who, you know, was a middle-aged man who is working in a motor vehicle accident, can, you know, no longer work and and needed those home modifications to be able to get in and out. And, um, you know, to be, you know, to take that, that the, those situations and to encapsulate, you know, the, the, the that spirit of what is going on back in our districts, to be able to go to people and articulate that and to be the voice is, um, it's phenomenal. That's a fantastic takeaway there, Ken, really resonates with me. Brian, how about you? What were some of the takeaways from uh, Silde on
2: your end? Similar, you don't. Um, I realize letters, letters don't know what they don't know. Meaning, us sharing our stories are so helpful and impactful because they don't think about these things. So we really are the voice to share these sort of things with them. And I think that's the major takeaway I got from the events, and it's always good to kind of have that resonate back with you once again. And then the second takeaway, I would say. And I always butcher the same, so I'm just going to ad-lib it for myself. But it's like the five fingers on a hand. They're all unique and different, but you're more powerful when you're a fist. So each of these mm-hmm. letters, layers are sharing the same things over again, over and over again. And when they meet together, it's going to stick with them. Because now from the different areas, all different parts of the county, they've heard similar stories from all the sills about what it is we do and the impactful work we do, that hopefully that resonates with them. So those were my two biggest, I think, takeaways, if you will.
0: That's a great one. I do believe that, you know, we're we're kind of like the, the, you were saying the fingers of fists, you know, the, the, we're bigger than the sum of our parts. Yeah. Absolutely. Jane, how about you? What were some of the things that you gleamed?
1: Uh, Oh, piggybacking on Brian's analogy there, you know, the power of independent living and our ability to advocate is in the sills and the staff, The, the, the staff that came up, the directors that were here. It was your voices that made all the difference. And I can get things set up and I can work up here on, you know, negotiating the last minute budget things and all of that and and finding the sponsors and working with lobbyists. But really, when it's when the voices of the centers themselves, when they come up, when you share your personal stories and your your consumer stories, that's really, that's where the impact is. And, you know, that whole idea that disability is uber-partisan is so true, and we saw that on uh, Monday night at the reception, because as I mentioned, Alison Tan is a lifelong Democrat. She used to be the executive director of the Florida Democratic Party. There's not a more partisan person that I know. And then Kim Ritchie came to Florida by way of working in the in the uh, George Bush administration the federal at the federal level, then in the Trump administration, and then in a Republican administration in Virginia. And now she's here in Florida, but because of her personal experience with disability, she and Allison Tant became an instant allies. I mean, the two of them—we we, like planning on when we're going to go to lunch so we can talk. So right. that showed me that disability is a neutralizer. It's something. It's it's a fact of human life, and it's not partisan, and it's not limited to one type of person or another. It's it's a club that anyone can join any minute, um, and. Everyone has a club member in their life, at least one or or a hundred. So, but anyway, so that was just yeah. The disability is not a partisan issue, and um, and when you can make those value propositions that are both human and economic, then you, know, you bridge right. that partisan divide. So, but yeah, but kudos to the to everyone who came up. It was just it was a shot in the arm for me to see mm-hmm. that your work in action and to watch the reactions. Um, it's it was wonderful, but. Like Ken said, it's the long game, so you have to keep keep it up. It can't be a one one day a year thing. And um, and hopefully we'll continue this pattern of going to the legislative delegation meetings in your in your local areas, and then um, following back up, making sure that you are in their rolodex or whatever people use now. But they know who you are. <laughs> they know you're a resource. And um and yeah, then you become household words. And I hate to always compare us to the AAAs, but every legislator knows who their area agency on aging is and where they are because right. they have a bigger voice, because seniors are it's a bigger piece of the population. They have more right. lobbying clout, but SILs are the only organizations that serve all disabilities and all ages. And you should be just as important to them as area agencies on aging and get just as much funding. So.
0: Right, right. Thank you, Jane. And, and so I, I like how you you're kind of like really uh, encapsulated the, the next steps, what, you know, it just doesn't, you know, there's a lot of buildups to getting here, uh, we had so day and now there's more work to be done, certainly in this legislative session where, you know, the, um, the bill has to go and, and all these other kind of things. But, you know, continuing that conversation, when they return to our districts, making sure that we stay on the radar and, and getting on the radar people that we may not have gotten to yet, letting them know who we are. So when we return back up there next year, that we're continuing the conversation um, beyond just maybe starting the conversation. And it's year-round work, and uh, so and it's never finished. We think there's a finish line; it's just a starting line to the next thing. <laughs> and uh, so, so um, as I kind of round this conversation out, what, really? Um, so I, I'm inspired by each and every one of you. You, you all, for for various reasons, uh, really inspire me uh, to do this work. And uh, I want to know what inspires you. You know, where what, what 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 gets you out of bed in the morning why are you so driven to do this work you're very enthusiastic and authentic and real about it and i'm always interested in knowing what makes people tick especially those people that i look up to and so i look up to each and every one of you and want to know kind of like what what, what's under the hood here what what, what's what's keeping you in the you know in this game and what inspires you because this is very hard work um and and to, to do be in it for the long game as we were like talking about um, I, I find it be very important. So, what what feeds you? What inspires you? What are your values? What are your virtues? Wherever you want to take this, I want to hear from you all. As a, you know, some maybe kind of closing comments to this conversation. So, Ken, I've been mean, starting with you, and I'll, I'll I'll start with you again here. But uh, take that wherever you see fit.
3: That's a that's a good question. You know, um, I guess I have to give credit ultimately to my mother, who's who's not with us anymore, but who was um one of the people that had the biggest hearts I've ever known. She was the type of person that um, anyone she knew if they had a need she was going to be there to help them out you know from whatever it may be but uh, you know one that pops into my mind is is that if she knew you and you didn't have family around at the holidays you were eating thanksgiving with us or doing wow. something along those lines You know, that's how she was and and i remember you know i grew up here in the space coast and and um and you know uh i I was, you know, in all the high maths and science and all that kind of stuff. And so, of course, it's like, well, you're going to go be an engineer. And so I was in school to be an engineer. Nothing against being an engineer. Don't want to offend any of the engineers out there. But my heart just was not in it. And I remember having a conversation with my mom that I was, like, dreading. Uh, at, at lunch and we were sitting I still I can tell you exactly where we were sitting at their dining at the at the kitchen table and we we're eating lunch and and I asked if I could talk to her and and I said you know I I just don't want to do this and she says well what do you want to do and I said I just I just want to make a difference I want to help people and so she just looked at me and said then help people It was like one of the most anticlimactic yet major (laughs) answers ever in my life. Like I've been dreading this, you know, no, you can't, you know, change. She's just like, well, then go help people. And that changed the course of my life, Uh, changed my major and changed the course of my life. And, and since that point in time, I've been working, you know, trying to, to um, make the world a little bit better and, and to help individuals and, um, it has uh, its own unique challenges. and uh, you know, there's been lots of uh, times of, of stress and close to burnout and all that. but I can honestly say that um, it's it's been a rewarding life and, and I'm thankful for that. And so now when I find myself at a Center for Independent Living, as I said in sort of the introduction, it excites me that that we're part of a movement, that truly has made a difference in our society and and we've been handed the baton to continue running that race to try to continue to improve society as a whole because i honestly believe that as our society becomes you know does as when we as people collectively choose to make life better for everyone we all benefit we all become better and the areas of the area of disability and, and people with disabilities is that place that you're able to see you know as Jane said uber uber uh you know uh bipartisan you know it's 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 you know it it doesn't matter what side of the aisle. And, and I'll tell you that was actually a huge encouragement for me because, um you know, I've been a mediator, uh, I've, I've you know uh, I've studied conflict resolution, practiced it, and I'll be honest, you know the last X number of years has been very discouraging <laughs> when you see our country seem to be more and more divided. And I came back home and I said, it was really exciting to see legislators that were like, it did not matter, as you said, Tony, what side of the aisle they were on. They were listening and they wanted to know and and they were there. And so, um, yeah, that's what inspires me. It inspires me that every day, regardless of the challenges, regardless of headaches, regardless of whatever, uh, when I leave and go home, I can say we've done something to make someone's life better. Uh, And I can't think of a better way to spend a day, to be honest with you.
0: Right. Thank you, Ken. What was your mother's name? Donna. Donna.
3: Donna, yeah.
0: Did a good job with you, man.
3: (laughs) I try to make her proud.
0: I know she would be. Brian, talk to us.
2: So I think similar to Ken, I think just knowing that, for lack of a better term, disability movement is everybody's movement. I mean, you mm-hmm. think of something simple as curb cuts. It was designed for people with wheelchairs, but now bicyclists, skaters, <laughs> mothers with strollers, they use it. It benefits <laughs> everybody. Um, I think doing the right thing is the right thing. And I think what inspires me is each day knowing that there's someone else else out there who needs our help. Mm-hmm. I look forward to the day that I don't have to do this anymore. I know that's not gonna. I'm probably <laughs> it, but that that's that's the ultimate dream is that people with disabilities will be so integrated into society that our jobs are no longer needed, and then we'll find something else to have to do. But till that day, that's what inspires me. Knowing that there's somebody else out there who's going to acquire their disability, or maybe he's aging out and honor where that centers are around, don't know what they're gonna do with themselves, don't know what the next steps are, that there is an agency like ours that can help them. There's an agency that could teach them, an agency that could let them know that having a disability, is not a bad thing, it's not a taboo thing, it's not anything you need to be embarrassed about. Um, I think those are the things that keep me going. Um, I think those are the things that each day kind of, I just, at the end of the day, I wanna know, did I do more good for the day than bad, and if I like, can I did more good than bad for the day, that's a good day. And if right. I did it, it was tomorrow. So I think those are the things that kind of inspire me and keep me going on a day to day basis, if you will, so to speak.
0: Thank you. And you, you, you seem to have such just a, a young, energetic, again authentic energy about you,
1: uh, Brian.
2: It's the filters. I'm not that young, Ken. Maybe I'm, I'm you immature.
1: You got that. You, you, but you're kind of that cool vibe. <laughs> right,
2: right,
0: you do you do is there is there like a virtue or value that you hold near and dear to your heart to 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 have that energy and and to do what you do and and why you're in this at all like
2: i mean ultimately it's the golden rule do unto others as you want to do unto you i mean okay. I, I think i know it sounds kind of trivial and simple but i mean i genuinely do believe oh, that's profound. that's the philosophy to live by i mean right if you saw somebody else that was in a situation or like I said, use a parent or a loved one, you would hope somebody would do right by them. So, I mean, that's kind of what spearheads a lot of my thought process and thinking. But I mean, like I said, at the ultimate end of the day, we have the greatest job in the world. I mean, I don't know any job where you get to sit there and help people all the time in terms of helping them achieve what they set out to do. I mean, that's right. pretty cool when you think about it. And we get to work with them forever. There's no cutoff. There's no aging out of this. There's no whatever. If you want us, our doors are always open. You can come back to us to get that. Assistance. That That's, I mean, that's the ultimate cool job, if you will, for me, for sure.
0: So. Yes, well said. How about, you, how about you, Jane? What gets you out of bed and, and <laughs> inspires you?
1: Well, definitely wanting to help people, wanting to make the world better and and I do all of the volunteer work I do is direct service, you know, serving as a mentor or guardian ad litem or, and that sort of thing. But it's also um, in my head. So my heart is pulled, but my head, I have a fascination with puzzles, like a serious one, like every day. Um, I have a page a day, like Mensa puzzles that I I love to solve things. And so t- this work for me at the level that I'm doing it, because I'm not doing direct service like all of you guys are. I'm uh, here in, in Tallahassee, but I love... Well, I hate what I see because it's like spaghetti thrown into a pot without any olive oil. And so all of the agencies and services are all mixed up and tangled and they don't they're not integrated. They don't work well together. And it's been really um, its stimulating for me to try to figure them out and to identify those the agencies that the centers can partner with. And so just sort of untangling the bureaucratic mess. And I I've worked in the governor's office. I've worked in state agencies. I've worked you know, in various different um, areas around disability so I know enough to understand like who all the players are but we don't talk to each other we don't play well together we don't um there's so many parallel systems that have been built up that do kind of the same thing for the same people but not in in collaboration so so my heart is here because I love helping but my head is fascinated by the challenge of figuring out the puzzle
0: right it is puzzling my goodness I love your spaghetti (laughs) example (laughs) it's like a bunch of noodles thrown together, and and you know what I what strikes me, I guess, like too, is that you know as you're saying, you know, with with Brian and Ken, you know, doing the direct, you know, being close to the boots on the ground, helping to serve the people, and then they're up there at Sylde talking to the people that are upstream, you know, making these kind of decisions. It, it is interesting how SILS kind of straddle that, you know, kind of area where we're 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 direct service helping people and we do the systems level advocacy. And it is very special to be in both of those same worlds. Usually it's an either or. We're and both. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're 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 directly caring and serving people, individuals, and we're also very close to you know, talking directly with the people that make choices um, that, that affect policy, that affect funding. That affect these kind of things, and, and you know, people talk about upstreaming a problem, you know, that have downstream, you know, kind of ramifications. We're we're, we're able to thread the needle and, and do both of those, and that's just a you know a, an amazing situation to be in, because not everybody can you know be able to to navigate both of those so well as the Independent Living Network is able to do. So I want to I want to thank all of you uh, for coming on board and you know having this conversation and a bit of a debrief on. Uh, on a sill day and uh you know quickly before i hop off here i just want to know if uh, you all have any uh parting words that you wanted to share with our audience ken
3: uh i do want to follow up with something jane said about brian and his cool vibe i'm going (laughs) to you know sort of give away my age here but if you're a sports old school sports center fan Stuart scott used to have a phrase as cool as the other side of the pillow and i think that fits really well for brian. What an amazing uh, man to it. No, I, I i that it has been uh, aside from like you said tony the boots on the ground here uh, working and doing that kind of stuff uh, it's yeah. been a great joy beginning to uh, more and more over the last couple of years get to know people like brian and jane and yourself and and others at centers around the state. Um uh, yeah, I, i'm it's just a real privilege and a blessing, and so All thank right. you for allowing me to be here. Uh, we're out there working hard for you guys, so um, you yeah, know we'll keep on, keep on,
2: keeping on.
0: It's a joy to be alongside you, Ken Brian. I mean, any part of the
2: I I mean I'm so appreciative to be part of such a wonderful unit, a young wonderful group of talent. I mean, like I said, it was inspiring. Just the energy. During CIO Day, can't be matched. I mean, like I said, I think I sent to Jane, it was a remarkable, rememberable day. It really was in terms of just what was accomplished and what was done. And I know the work is just beginning, but I just think that's inspiring within itself. If you can't get inspired by that, something's wrong with you. So I think that's kind (laughs) of my passing shot, just what we're doing. And I'm, I'm so happy to be part of such a wonderful group and unit of people, for sure.
0: Thank you, Brian.
2: Jane?
1: I feel the same way. I'm incredibly grateful and I'm excited to see um, us have success with this legislative session. So I can't wait. Uh, We've got a few more weeks left to go. We're in a good place. Tony and I neglected to mention we met with the um, Senate Education Appropriations Chair on Monday afternoon before seal day and he assured us that our funding request was in, in good shape because we had not been picked up by the Senate yet. So I've got my fingers crossed and um, saying my prayers at night that mm-hmm. that um, we our appropriations requests will be approved and um, so yeah no I'm just very very grateful and thankful to both of you I was inspired by you which is why when Tony asked me should we have anybody else on I said yes <laughs> and he, these are the two people because right. you guys really you were amazing so thank you and thank you Tony for making this happen.
0: Well, thank you all. It's 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 a joy to accompany you all on this uh, on this mission, a mission that will take the Independent Living Network onward and upward.
1: Thanks for listening to the Independent Life podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.